Welcome to another episode of Cinema Shame. My name is James Patrick. In this episode, we're continuing our talk about Burt Reynolds. If you've been paying attention, I may have flubbed the film chronology a little bit. This episode begins with The End, a film that came out the year before starting over the movie that concluded part one. The reason is because I am an imperfect human, but also because... I wanted to tackle starting over and semi-tough in the same conversation with Carrie Rickey. The end, anyway, is far more apropos to kick off the episode about the latter half of Burt Reynolds' Hollywood career. It's about a man struggling with his own mortality and his place in the world no matter how much time he has left. It all flows better this way, I promise. Most would consider the next decade of Burt's career the bad years. Maybe that's true, but the 80s showed a Burt Reynolds that was willing to try anything and break away from expectations. The 80s also represented a more difficult time personally and professionally for Burt. On the set of City Heat, a stuntman picked up the wrong chair, not a breakaway chair, and hit Burt Reynolds across the jaw. He didn't work again for two years. Then the rumors began that he had AIDS. In his autobiography, he says, My makeup man and my dentist refused to touch me. I lost 40 pounds, which only added fuel to the fire. I wasn't well enough to work, but nobody wanted me anyway, and I couldn't blame them. Why would you hire someone who was terminally ill? It wasn't AIDS, but a condition known as temporomandibular disorder, also known as TMD or TMJ, which affects the joint that connects the lower jaw and the skull. It disrupts your balance and all of your sensory perception. Bert said it felt like being seasick all the time. He couldn't lie down. He couldn't deal with bright light or bright noises. He says he saw a dozen dentists before he went to see a retired San Diego dentist by the name of Gus Schwab. By the time Gus Schwab realigned every tooth in Bert's mouth, he had already become addicted to a drug called Halcyon because it was the only thing that would relax the jaw. Bert said, I was a zombie, but I didn't care. I would have done anything for, for relief. I kept taking Halcyon, and my tolerance went up. It got to where I was taking 50 a day, and I was sleeping longer and longer. When Burt Reynolds walked back on The Tonight Show finally, he brought a little black book, he said, that contained the names of all the people who deserted him during his long ordeal. He opened the book and began tearing pages out one by one. Johnny Carson said, you know, I've done that too. It makes a hell of a fire. The audience erupted. And Bird says, for the first time in months... I felt hope for the future. Unfortunately, it took Bert longer to kick the Halcyon addiction. One day, he decided to quit cold turkey rather than check himself into the Betty Ford clinic. He slipped into a coma, and the doctors believed he wasn't going to survive it. But after eight or nine hours, he woke up and never took Halcyon again. So when we talk about Bert reinventing himself in the middle of the 1980s, it was about Bert coming out again as a Hollywood actor, finally being liberated from all the rumors and scandal that had been printed in the tabloids, 
Bert came back on his own terms. They probably weren't the terms he would have liked, but he did it his way. So in many ways, this isn't the portrait of a star in decline, but a portrait of a star reinventing himself when everyone else had pretty much left him for dead. So let's get this episode started with The End. Oh, I saw the movie last night. That scene is so touching and so lovely. Was he fun to work with? Yes. Huh? Yes, very You really much. like him, don't you? Doesn't he look like a G.I. Joe? Oh, I'm doll. trying to convince yes. everyone that he does with his beard. He looks, more he looks like, like a G.I. Joe dog. Strike that, the wheel. Get it out of here. <laughs> I'm very happy to be joined by Brian Sauer of Rupert Pupkin Speaks and the Pure Cinema Pod and Just the Disc Pod. He's coming to me all the way from across country in California. How are you this evening, sir? I am great, sir. I mean, outside of you know that we're talking about uh, a, a fallen star that we that we adore yes i'm, I'm good that, i'm very good that's not the great part of it it is also your birthday so happy birthday thank you yes and this is a fun way to close out my birthday actually so uh i offered you up the entire burt reynolds photography and you came back to me with the end yes why did you pick uh, the end i think um well, it's it's Bert's second go at directing. He had done Gator a couple years prior to this. And I think Bert is a really interesting director. Uh, I mean, obviously, I love him as an actor. I love him as a movie star. He is truly one of a kind. I'm sure that's been said a lot in this uh, episode so far. But Bears repeating. Yeah. But uh, as a director, I think he, you know, you can see him improving as the years go by. And uh, I think The End is a really interesting second film because it's, I mean, this is something we say a lot on Pure Cinema, but it's this is definitely a movie that wouldn't get made today. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> because it's just an oddball. I mean, you know, I, I just, I think it's, the reason I picked it, I think is, because it's an example of him directing and doing a pretty solid job at it in what is a real difficult tonal balance of a movie to pull off that I would argue he ultimately does pull off, although, you know, your, your mileage may vary. The End, starring Burt Reynolds as a man who's about to die. What's that supposed to mean? It means lying in the ground with dirt on your face and holding your breath forever. Facing death, he's determined to commit suicide. That's right, baby. Even if it kills him. I'm in love with the idea of killing myself. You're sure having a hard time doing it? Will you come on? Okay, you're second thought. Burt Reynolds, in the end, rated R. Now playing at a theater near you, check your newspaper for listing. I mean, because the movie starts with Burt... Um, in a, in a uh, doctor's office basically being told he has six months to live. And I've, I've always found Bert to be like very, I mean, he, he, he's obviously incredibly funny, um, but I love it when he plays against the sort of masculine, um, you know, machismo because he can do both things. And I, and I've always found that sort of flexibility and the, you know, the way that he can just laugh at himself 
to be one of the reasons I think he is such a great movie star. It was effortless, but the, really, for him. The the charm came so easy. It's something that people can look back on and go, wow, I didn't know Burt Reynolds could do that. But he, we, I talked about this um, in, in what will be, uh, I presume, a segment coming after this. We'll have to see. Um, uh, about his, his relationship and rapport with Joe Clayberg. So he could play off all different kinds of women. And this is is a very different side to that same persona. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, um, well, two things. One, you know, the movie's all about death. And um, basically, the, the Burt Reynolds character, <laughs> he sets up a great joke, and you can kind of see him teeing it up. But he's just like, you know, tell me, tell me how long I've got. Uh, doc i can take it and he says six months and he just breaks down and just like starts basically weeping and just wailing uh just way over the top but it's very funny in a way that only burt can do um so that's the kind of stuff i'm talking about but then the whole movie he is start is him you know sort of going back to his family he has a daughter played by uh christy mcnichol A girlfriend played by Sally Fields. You have kind of a revisitation of Smokey, but in a totally different way. She plays way. such a off-ball, quirky, <laughs> vapid character <Yes>. here. <laughs> yeah, like and he not comes giving in and him... just belittles her about her how dirty her apartment oh. is. <laughs> it's a really odd character because he is kind of a dick, and he is. He's obviously very he's narcissistic and um you know that he starts thinking about suicide and he's looking into ways to kill himself and uh ends up in a, an insane well not insane asylum but but a mental hospital with Dom DeLuise you know offering ideas to help him kill himself and it gets kind of it gets kind of out there but but just the idea that you would do this comedy about um, facing death and suicide and all these things. It's clearly something he was, I guess, dealing with. And I found it interesting to watch the movie now because it's a full 40 years since this movie came out. And obviously we know he he lived, you know, he got he got another good 40 years out of it. So <laughs> it's, you know, there's a, there's a sort of a silver lining looking back. It is weird to see an actor who's just passed away, you know, pointing a gun at his head and... Um, choking himself and things like that. But ultimately, uh, I, I found it an interesting revisit. Now, you know, you're saying this was the first time you had seen this, it, right? This was the first time I'd seen it. It had you know, always been on my watch list. I mean, I kind of try and watch everything that Burt Reynolds has done over time, and, and this one just didn't get watched. I picked up the, the Olive Blu-ray, and uh, it sat there and, you know. Oh, you already had it. Nice. I, I had it. You know, it was Burt. Burt on Blue um, is pretty much an automatic purchase for me. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I was glad to have that opportunity to, to toss it in today. And, and you know, it, it, wasn't, uh, it wasn't what I expected. You know, the, the cover leads you in certain, in certain directions and reputation leads you in certain directions. And the, the inclusion of Dom DeLuise also does as well. Uh, so... You know, he expected kind of this cannonball run with death, <laughs> maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I could see that based um, on the yeah. And there is some of that broad uh, humor, um, but it's all. I mean, it's it's coming from a very dark place at the same time. Really? 
Um, so the antics that he and Dom DeLuise get into as they're, you know, trying to kill Bert, um, like the scene where they're dangling from the, the tower, um, and he, they're trying, Dom DeLuise is going to drop him and then he panics and doesn't want to <laughs> drop because he doesn't think it's going to be a, a far enough fall. And then they <laughs> twist him around because if they, if they, they decide that if he's going to hit his head, it might be a far enough fall. And then it's on grass, and then they end up dropping Dom DeLuise, and he confirms that it's not a far enough fall. <laughs> there, there's a cartoon kind, kind of, of oddly sequential storytelling here. Um, and then it's mixed in with these very earnest conversations with his family. Um, I'm thinking specifically yep. of uh, his conversation with his daughter. Um, he takes her out to have fun, and and they're sitting there and she's like, you know, you're acting totally weird, dad. What's going on? You're not back in the hospital again, are you? And he says, definitely not. Promise not. And there's this really wonderful interaction um, that it kind of got me, you know, a little, little choked up. Yeah. And, yeah. And you were talking about the, the ending, too, without going into too much detail. But right. I feel like the ending could lose you, too, if if it's not done right you know and there is an emotional hook at the end and i i thought it was really like i said i, I think it's not an easy thing to pull off as a second time director oh it's it's not an easy thing to pull off as in any kind of director uh yeah the, the line this movie walks it, it's it's pastiche but somehow it all comes together in that uh, a lot is heaped on that ending you're you're really curious to see how this is going to end because is he going to succeed in killing himself because that's where we're headed um is there going to be a last minute reprieve like uh you know uh, just kidding you're you're super <laughs> healthy uh you know joe versus volcano you know fake brain cloud yeah. kind of thing like where where, <laughs> where are we going and then we get this scene of him deciding to swim out endlessly into the ocean and then he decides he wants to live no matter how much time he's got and the monologue that he the inner the internal monologue that he's spinning as he's desperately trying to swim back to shore is uh kind of the the culmination of all this screwball and as he's promising to learn the the 10 the 10 fucking commandments or whatever he says like <laughs> uh just, and um you know he's he's gonna you know cherish the people and, and the lives and he's gonna stop selling lakefront pro or water oceanfront property to to uh, for land without ocean and um <laughs> and it, it's a very personal speech even though it flows in and out of these punchlines I can never make it. Help me, Lord. Please. I promise not to try and kill myself anymore. Save me and I swear I'll be a better father. I'll be a better man. I'll be a better everything. All I ask is, make me a better swimmer. Oh, God. 
I can't do this to Julie. We can't do this to Julie. Oh God, let me live and I promise to obey every one of the Ten Commandments. I shall not kill. I shall not commit adultery. I shall not. I, uh, I'll learn the Ten Commandments and then I'll obey every fucking one of them. Just get me back to the beach. I'll be honest in business. I promise not to sell lakeside. Yeah, no, I, I think it's really well done. And and I, I think it's, as you'll come to, I'm sure, a lot with pe- talking to people about Burt movies, there's something about Burt that allows for the emotional hook. It allows for the tonal balance. He can do things that are difficult because he's Bert and we like him. Uh, oh, in a he, way gets, that, he can get away with so much just because it's crazy. He's got that laugh and that smile. It's crazy how much he can get away with. I, I, I think it's pretty remarkable. And that, and watching this movie was reminding me of that. I think, I think the, the other reason I picked it is I love the supporting cast outside of Dom DeLuise and Sally Field. It's pretty great. It is. Myrna Loy pops up. And, yeah, Myrna uh, Loy's mom, Pat, Pat O'Brien. O'Brien. I, I saw him, and I'm like, oh, and I, I, like, I heard the voice. Like, I saw him, and it didn't register. But then yeah. I heard the voice, and like, is that that Pat? That's Pat O'Brien, and you know, you go <laughs> pull up your phone for IMDb, and it's like, holy hell, Pat O'Brien and Myrna Loy together for for yeah. a, one scene, and it's it's yeah. again, it's another one of these really earnest moments. Yep, and he has Myrna a nice Loy is, with his is mom. fabulous. Oh, like, love fabulous. her so much, and not surprised. No, no. Yeah, so I mean, that's one. Uh, there's a great, I think, a, a fun scene with Robbie Benson as a very young priest that he's going to confess to. Um, yeah. I'm a big Robbie Benson fan, so like, he not that he can do no wrong, but I find I find him pretty funny in the scenes with Bert. I think they they. He's got some of that. I hadn't. I never thought about it before. But he's got some of that same Burt DNA. Young Robbie Benson. Oh yeah. Like the the smile and the and the wit. Like it, it, they were on the same wavelength in that scene. I can't imagine that they weren't having a good time. Yeah, it looks like they are, and I just think that's a fun scene. It's another one-off. Like he's not in the movie anymore after that. Yeah. Uh, Joanne Woodward is his ex-wife. Norman Fell is his doctor. Uh, Carl Reiner is another doctor. Um, who he kills you know yeah <laughs> that's a great you could see that one coming too yeah uh, there's a great right now it's my twitter um banner there's a great scene with james best um that's just a real brief you know he needs to use the phone and james best is like a hospital patient who's had some kind of head injury and something yeah. else i think and he's dragging around his iv and bert like um tricks him into getting off the well no he actually turns up his uh iv (laughs) and and james best to his credit does a great like good quarter scene out of focus against the wall next to the phone where he's sort of stumbling and falling down and then you see the orderlies come while bert's having his conversation and i think it's him i'm pretty sure you see him disappear off into um into out of focus and and stuff so i i just thought that was a great Again, one-off. The kind of thing that Bert can do because he he's Bert and he knows all these people. Yeah. Come in and do one scene for my movie. And they're all great one-off scenes, you know? It's it's amazing how it all fits together. It really is. 
Um, and I mentioned this when we were in the last episode we did on the Bad News Bears when I said that 70s films often felt like they were scribbled on cocktail napkins and taped together. <laughs> and that's what that's this movie is just a bunch of cocktail vignettes taped together. And yeah. and the only thing that that ties them together is Bert. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's good stuff. I, I'm I'm a big fan. And I was even perhaps more surprised than about any of this that this movie was a big hit. Like, oh, I didn't know that at the box office. So it was made for three million dollars, three million dollar budget, but it made forty four domestic. Forty four. Wow. Forty four. I mean, crazy. this is the height of Bert, though. So yeah, um, some of that is just got to be attributed to star power. But forty four million in nineteen seventy eight is a still a big number Burt Reynolds or not for this yeah. type of movie because somebody they went to see it and it, I don't know it didn't get great critical reviews either like it was largely kind of you know negative mixed so this was people going to see it and then recommending it and this is a movie that we said would never get made today like n- not even a question in my mind yeah and especially not with a big star like that I wouldn't think I mean you know we have some adventurous um, A-list stars right now that will do interesting things, but yeah, this movie is just—it's it too dark. It would have, yeah, it's too dark for a, for a studio to do, and that's what this was. This this was a yeah, studio that's production. Crazy to me. Yeah, again, star power of Burt, big studio. Yes, do whatever you want. Right. Comedy about death and suicide. Uh, uh yes, yes, go ahead and do that. That's fine. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I'm sure they were just as surprised as he might have been that it made that much money. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's worth mentioning the writer of the movie, Jerry Belsom, who uh, factored into some Spielberg projects by the name of Close Encounters and Always. Nice. Um, he also wrote uh, Smile, right? Smile, saw? yeah, and uh, won some Emmys for the Tracy Ullman show. So Cool. He had a, he had a varied, uh, uh, kind of a mixed bag career, made a, made a name for himself in, in TV, but um, he's got some pretty solid credits there in the film side as well. Yeah, I'm a big Smile fan. Big, big. That's where Bob Freelander actually comes from. Yeah, the Smile is, I mean, we. I could go on and on about Michael Ritchie. But <laughs> yes. I did that already kind of in the last show. Yes, um, it was great. <laughs> yeah, uh, so I think that's that's probably a good good way to end the end. Um, okay. If you, if you had any more thoughts about that one, one-offs or recommendations? No, or, no? no I think I'm good on this one. Okay, good. Wonderful. And we'll have you back in uh, a couple years, name 11, 11 years to uh, 11 years, yes. 11 years. We, we'll see what happens then. All right. Thank you. Now paperwork. I, do, I want everything to be just so for, yes. for our first guest. So yes. let me. All right. This out of the way. I believe okay. we're ready. It's truly a pleasure to welcome my first guest to this program. He is currently co-starring with Clint Eastwood in a film called City Heat. Please welcome Burt Reynolds. Yeah. Hi, Burt. Nice to meet you. How are you, sir? Nice to see you. Thank you very much for being here. Thank you. 
What do you think? The audience loves you. That makes you feel great, doesn't it? It makes me feel wanted. Yeah. <laughs> How long ago did you actually live in New York City? I lived here, uh, I came here in 1957, 56. And uh, I was here about two years, but I didn't live here. I just, <laughs> what, what just kind of, I just kind of existed on pigeons whenever I could grab one. <laughs> rip the head off one and yeah. just uh, it. Uh -huh. uh, I, I live with Rip Torn, mm -hmm. which is a strange existence in its own right. Yeah. Was, was, this, uh, was this fun at all, or was it just overwhelmingly peculiar? It was, it was both, which has been the story of my life. Yeah. <laughs> overwhelmingly peculiar and fun. Uh, we had, uh, I was going to uh, acting schools, uh, which I got uh, kicked out of, most of. I went to the... Why would uh, they kick you out of an acting school? Because I couldn't act. Oh. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Ask a dumb question like that, you're going to get an answer like that. <laughs> and then I went to uh, Stella Adler. She was terrific. Mm -hmm. I liked her a lot. And you just kind of sit on the floor and stare at her knees. And she praises you a lot. Yeah. But I never acted. Yeah. Uh, then I finally ended up with uh, Wynne Hanman, who was wonderful. He was very kind. And I was, I was real, real shy in those days. And uh, I was. <laughs> I was real shy. And, uh, um, All right, for my next segment, I have Grant, a.k.a. Mentors Camper on Twitter, a.k.a. The Notorious Carry Troller. How are you doing, Grant? I'm doing great. I'm doing Excellent. great, James. I, I am very excited that Grant wanted to come on this episode because he offered to do what many would consider the, the, the Nader, the, the, the Burt Nader, if you will. Um, but I think there's there's stuff to like in all three of these movies that we're going to talk about. So we're going to start with Stick from 1985, which was also directed by Burt Reynolds. Is Stick. The mob took his money, killed his best friend, then set him up as the fall guy. I want him to take it. Play around with those people. You're going to get hurt. They're playing a deadly game. He owes me $5,000. And he's not about to be the loser. Because if you get him mad, you can be sure of one thing. Give me a hand! He's going to get even. Why don't you push me hard? Mighty at the water. Burt Reynolds. You know what I came here to ask. Candace Bergen. I don't know if I'm ready for you, Ernest. George Siegel. And Charles Durning in Stick. The only thing he couldn't do. So how you drink? That regular or apple? Was stick to the rules. Apple. I'll say goodnight. Now, why did you want to talk about Stick? Well, I think Stick and Heat and Malone are kind of like this trilogy of films where Bert's trying to reinvent himself as kind of like a more serious 
action star. Maybe not reinvents the wrong word. I mean, you know, he did Dan August and he did serious cop stuff, Sharky's Machine, stuff like that. But we really hadn't seen that from him in a long time. And, um, but I feel like, uh, I feel like they're worthy efforts. I mean, Stick is kind of like an insane movie. I mean, Charles Durning in that movie is just like, you know, it's like if Kingpin and Rip Taylor had a baby or he's something. Amazing. <laughs> he's amazing in this movie. I, I love that he keeps popping up in Burt Reynolds movies, sort of like this unsung hero in Burt's career. The the two the two had a had a wonderful pairing, though Durning never had a huge role in any of the movies, but he's always welcome in yeah, I just rewatched Stick and um, and Heat this week, and um, I like Stick. I mean, like a lot of Elmore Leonard uh, adaptations. Um, it it's not a good Elmore Leonard adaptation, you know. I mean, um, there's really yeah. only one great Elmore Leonard adaptation, and the other ones just you know they're they're something else you know they they attempt to hit that that tone like i'm 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 talking about out of sight i mean if you uh, that that's the obvious one for me uh but the dialogue is so important to elmer and little leonard novels and it's not something that comes across easily on screen for some reason it's the cadence whatever it is about about leonard's prose and stick is another example of the ways that it can go horribly wrong. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's you know, it's like, you know, uh clunky cans being tied behind a car, you know, like a just married type thing, you know. It's like the Elmore Leonard elements. You can see them, but they're just hobbling along. Like Durning's character, you can tell there's something going on there that had from Elmore Leonard. Yeah, you can but see I mean... that you can see that character like you read that book and you can you, you can see that character come alive and in no way shape or form does it look like that but in some abstract way you can <laughs> see how the steps that it took to take him there like is it's like how do you make this character cinematic ah uh, yeah um i would see i would see a tv i would watch a tv series i would religiously watch a tv series that had charles durning's chucky you know, kind of. I mean, I, I see it like mm-hmm. sort of a, a a Better Call Saul type of thing, you know, or or something like that. You know, I mean, I think that would be pretty amazing. I mean, he's but... he's one step away from a recurring <laughs> character on Magnum PI, really. What do you mean, come and get him, you son of a bitch? This is my house, not your house. Nobody told me what to do in my house. I don't think that gun scares me either. I'll take it away from you and shove it up your ass so far you will be able to breathe for a week. Now give me those goddamn pills. Before I throw you right off the fucking balcony. Yeah, and I like, you know, when I watch Stick, I, I kind of think of it as sort of a, kind of like a distant relative, you know, kind of like a black sheep uncle in the in Die Hard and Lethal Weapons family, in their in their family tree, you know? You know, like when I, like the scene where the albino villain is falling off the building, <laughs> it reminds me of that scene with Alan Rickman, you know? I mm-hmm. mean, like there's just little things that pop up that make me think of Die Hard and Lethal Weapon. I, I don't know why, it's probably just me, but, um, you know, that was one of the things I noticed. Um, well, there's some, 
Stick, Heat, Malone, these all get these all have a just a tremendously bad reputation. Um, and there are in each of them there are flourishes of competency. And whether yeah. whether these flourishes add up to an entertaining experience is is, is something entirely different. I I, I quite like I, I said I, I like stick and I like heat and it is because of Bert, you know, not that, not yeah. despite. And I know that there's a, the the knock on Stick was that you know it Bert shouldn't have been directing Bert and Stick, like Bert right. could have directed somebody else in Stick, or Bert could have starred in Stick, but the two of them didn't go together. It's clear that that Reynolds had an immediate connection to the material, seeing the setting was Florida, and he needed he wanted to create a like a star character for him to play again as his his trajectory in in the mid 80s had taken a, a sharp decline after you're looking at you know uh stroker ace in 83 man who loved women in, in 83 uh cannonball yes. run 2 which was another just regrettable yeah. uh city heat and and all these movies were just busts you know it was it was so weird because i remember uh, pretty well, pretty clearly when the trailer for Stick came out. And just like among my circle of friends at the time, we kind of had the same reaction to that trailer, like the famous, what are you drinking, uh, Ethel, or, mm-hmm. you know, it, you know, just it showed like really cool scenes and, and you know, in the trailer. And it reminded me, of when the trailer for uh, the Dirty Harry movie Sudden Impact came out. And we hadn't seen a Dirty Harry movie in so long, you know? I mean, I think The Enforcer was 1976 mm-hmm. or 77. So when that trailer came out, everybody was excited. Oh, my God, Clint Eastwood's back. And it was kind of the same thing when the trailer for Stick came out. Now, Bert had been doing films nonstop, for a yeah. long time, but like I said earlier with Sharky's Machine, you know, I think a lot of people just tuned out on his career, so it made it seem like he hadn't been around. Yeah, Hollywood because... tried to tried to kind of push him into that sort of sentimental '80s leading man, like the the snarky but lovable yeah. mold that that had become popular, and that just really didn't go over all that well starting over in 79 came together in the best possible way for Bert but after that uh the 80s were not kind to Bert um yeah and you know he took it upon himself um and this movie was probably doomed from the get-go uh you know the the studio rejected his first cut, and Bert, you know, said famously said at the time that he thought it was a great film, and the studio made him reshoot the entire second half of the movie. Um, Bert said, you know, if you watch the if you watch the first half, that's what the whole thing should have been. Um, Leonard, of course, disowned the movie as well after he saw the final <laughs> cut, um, and um, I, I, unless I'm mistaken, I, I believe that he never spoke to Reynolds again after that. One of the lost, I mean, there's a lot of lost opportunities in Stick, obviously, but um, I think there was a good opportunity for like a fun, kind of bantery side love story. Unfortunately, they cast Candid Bert, Candace Bergen, 
I love her TV efforts, but I think she was just horribly miscast in that role. I mean, I would have put someone in, you know, like Ann Archer or or Susan Sarandon or somebody like that who I think would have been more lively. I mean, they gave Candace her such Burton an edge. She, they uh, always gave her such an edge in her in her films when they were still trying to figure out what to do with her. Yeah, I mean, I of course I'm partial to Ann Archer. I mean, if you know, you you ask me who should have been in the female lead in any 80s movie, I'll tell you Ann Archer, even if Ann Archer's in the movie. You know, Ann Archer was the female lead. Well, she should have played another character or something. You know, like, I, can't, so much I, love you know I, I can't disagree with that. Ann Archer would have been good. <laughs> but, you know, like what you were saying about um, casting Bird as, like, the lovable hero or whatever, um, I think Heat is a really good movie. I mean, I think of, of those three, of Stick and Heat and Malone, Heat, unfortunately, is, you know, in the middle of those, sandwiched in the middle of those two disasters. Could you tell me something about yourself, please? Well, I've been knocked down, blown up, shot at, and fluent in four languages. Well. Don't interrupt me, I'm not through. There's more. Yeah, I lie a lot. If you need protection, Nick Escalante is your man. Who puts you in an emergency? The pretty boy's name is Danny DeMarco. Heat, it doesn't get any hotter. Rated R. Starts Friday. Check your local newspaper. I think Heat is just like a really genuinely good film, you know? I mean, Bert's playing a, a really neat, interesting character in that. He, you know, he's like a, a, you know, a gambling addict, uh... It's keeping him from, you know, it's holding him back from, like, you know, wanting to go to Venice and a, kind of accomplish his dreams. Then you got, like, Peter McNichol, who's great. I love the way and, those two play off each other in this movie. It's, ne- yeah, it's yeah. never a pairing I would have come up with in a million years. Like, you could have asked me to cast this 27 different ways, and I don't think I ever would have put the two of them together, but it's really fun. Yeah, yeah, and, you know... Uh, Peter, yeah, Peter McNichol is just really good in that, you know, like his, I mean, you know, like in this day and age, you know, everyone talks about, you know, to- toxic masculinity and Peter McNichol's basically, you know, wanting to be a tough guy. But the way that he goes about explaining why he wants to do it and he has that like really kind of sad story about the guy that he sees with a sign on his back saying please don't hit me mm-hmm. and how he doesn't want to be that guy he doesn't want to be just you know that pathetic person you know who can't defend themselves i mean that really that kind of gets to me you know i mean that's uh that was really well done that whole thing and it's so strange and, that that this this film came out as well as it did uh you know i, I it has it, again we're we're still in the same realm that it still has a bad rap it may it was a 17 million dollar budget and made 2.8 at the box office like we're i mean all of these movies were just tremendous busts um but i'm a little surprised that this one did as poorly as it did the the production on this is uh sort of a, a studio's worst nightmare um, you started with <laughs> with Dick Richards, who at that point was was he coming off Farewell My Lovely at that point? Was that uh, that was shortly before with Robert Mitchum, and that was well regarded. Um, he comes on here, and and he and and Bert are clashing. Reynolds punched him, and later <laughs> later um, 
Richard sued for, I can't even remember what the sum was, but um, they settled for $50,000. So Reynolds always called it the $50,000 punch. <laughs> well, um, you know who else I, I really like in Heat is, um, I mean, I really like her. It, it's uh, Karen Young mm-hmm. as the prostitute. Um, it's saying something that Karen Young steals every scene she's in in that movie. I mean, I think. I mean, she. I mean, even with Bert in the scene, I, I can't take my eyes off Karen Young's. You know, that weird kind of accent she has in it. I don't know what she's. I don't know she's what she's going for there. <laughs> but I love it. I don't know what she's going for. It, but it I'm didn't all, bother you know. me. It didn't bother me. You know, I mean, it's that again. That that it's, it seems to come together from all sorts of disparate pieces. And you know, and to think Robert Altman was the original director too. He. He cast the film yeah. and had and worked one day and then quit, which is such a bizarre concept. Like, <laughs> of all the Wizard of Oz things that happen behind the scenes in Heat, that Robert Altman was the original director of a Burt Reynolds movie, an, a Burt Reynolds crime drama. It, it's some it's some otherworldly stuff there. Written by William Goldman. <laughs> oh yeah. It bums me out that uh, that one in particular gets lost in the shuffle, and like I say, it's got like everybody in there, maybe with the exception of the bad guy who's pretty you know one dimensional, but uh, <clears throat> Karen Young and McNichol and and you know Reynolds, um, the guy that plays uh, uh, the gangster that. Uh, judges him you know and uh i forget his name but he's really good he's always good you know playing that type of role and uh, howard Howard hessman's in there and uh yeah 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 that surprised me i totally forgot he was in it when i was watching it yeah it's uh and the ending kind of surprised me i won't give any spoilers in case anybody wants to watch it you know, just regarding well, peter mcnichol but uh well, i mean we, we sold peter mcnichol i mean we, we can sell this as the best of the three movies we're talking about yeah i was talking to you on twitter the other day about um um baby driver and how it had kind of like a classic era vibe to it and i think heat has that has that kind of same thing, you know, that kind of unironic thing. Yeah, you know, you know of... I think people want movies to aspire to something greater. And sometimes yeah. it's just entertainment. And I don't know what people wanted out of Baby Driver. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to try and pick people's brains about, about their expectations for, you know, Edgar Wright has has made some some very good films but they're all really pure entertainment and that's the way i feel about heat it it yeah there yeah it, it aspires to nothing tremendous it's 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 easy to see why it got lost in the shuffle and kind of forgotten in, in bert's career especially when it's yeah. flanked by uh stick and malone <laughs> you know and, and they malone. all get lumped together malone Everything about that movie make it feels like a Chuck Norris movie to me. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, like Bert accidentally got put in a Chuck Norris movie by mistake. She wants his body. They came to kill you. I know. He wants his soul. Ours is an American cause. 
Now they both want him dead. Burt Reynolds, Lauren Hutton, and Cliff Robertson. Malone, rated R. Starts Friday, May 1st at a theater near you. The only thing that's memorable about that is the explosion. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and that whole... Malone reminds me a lot, uh, plot-wise, um, to a certain degree, of uh, Road uh, Roadhouse with Patrick Swayze. Sorry, we're closed. Well, then what are all these people doing here? Drinking and having a good time. Well, that's why we're here. You're too stupid to have a good time. We're with uh, Cliff Robertson playing the Ben Gazzara you know the the big boss of the town or whatever you know and and birch is kind of like passing through and he gets stuck in this you know this hick town with a crazy rich guy and uh there's really nothing about malone that i like just because it does feel like a chuck norris movie to me because i don't really like no a lot of chuck Norris movies. i mean I... like it feels like like a 90s Chuck Norris movie, not like a really good 70s Chuck Norris movie. You <laughs> if, you want to in, if you want to insult somebody, you call him a 90s Chuck Norris movie. <laughs> right. All right, let, let's yeah. let, let's yeah. skip ahead to Switching Channels, 1988 remake of Front Page and His Girl Friday, starring yeah. Burt Reynolds, Christopher Reeve, and Kathleen Turner. The police have captured the infamous Southside Sniper. Christie's having one of those days. <laughs> How could you do that to Blaine? Blaine, Blaine who? You! Former investigative reporter plays ex-husband in TV studio. Dear Blaine! I have seen some lowlifes in my time in this business. You meet them all. You are the worst! Kathleen Turner. Good evening. Burt Reynolds. Christopher Reeve. Switching channels. Rated PG. Now playing at a theater near you. I, look, I love Kathleen Turner, okay? But... I think she's like the part of that movie that really doesn't work. I, it's kind of like it kind of would be when I watch Kathleen Turner switching channels. I, it's kind of like if they had cast Marilyn Monroe instead of Rosalind Russell in His Girl Friday. You know, I mean, it's just she just does not work in that part. And I, and I thought the same thing about Vi Wachowski. I didn't think she worked as that kind of character either. Yeah. The, she- and I, Hollywood forgot what to do with her, which is really a shame. Um, she yeah, they was so good. Comments, yeah, you know? She was so good throughout the 80s. And then we get to this tail end, and I, I don't know if it was a matter of of the, just the genre shifting or whether they thought that this was like comedy was her bag. She's good at the situational... Uh, you know, light humor. I mean, the romance in the stone is is filled with with wonderful little moments. Yeah. But she's not yeah, a she's, she's not a comedian. Yeah. She's not gonna she's not gonna set you up and and give you a punchline. Um, right. She's she's a powerhouse in movies where she gets the opportunity to explore multiple areas like comedy, drama. Uh, I just watched. I just watched Peggy Sue got married. I've forgotten how moving she is when she's revisiting the nostalgia. Uh, of of her teenage years and and seeing her relatives again and you know it it's set up a, to be a joke and she plays it as this tremendous moment of pathos um 
She's also able to do something interesting in that movie, be an adult and be a teenager. Right. You it's know? a very hard, to, like, it was a very hard performance. And you see her acting circles around Nicolas Cage doing that really weird voice thing, uh, which I'm really, <laughs> I, I'm so glad she called that out in her interview for Vulture because yeah. I always wondered what the hell was going on <laughs> in that because Nicolas Cage is just not acting the same movie as everyone else. Well, then you also got like Jim Carrey's in it, who's playing it like, more you know, straight than Nicolas Cage. Yeah, yeah, which is, yeah and that uh, Jim Carrey is not being subtle in that. No, so that not. tells you how bad Nicolas Cage is doing. Which so in switching channels, all three of the leads seem to be kind of acting in different movies, and I like all of them individually, and I like the movie, but it is certainly an unusual accumulation of star power here and it's even stranger when you consider that the the burt reynolds role is originally supposed to go to michael kane oh i didn't know that that would be interesting so i mean i think i think burt's good in that role though you know i mean i think he i think that's good casting but again it should have been an archer playing off him or someone <laughs> lively you know uh yeah again it's just I think I think it's mainly a Kathleen Turner problem, a, a casting problem. You know, I mean, I think that it's interesting, but again, you can't help constantly think of His Girl Friday and and the comparison and how much better His Girl Friday is. That's the problem with those type of movies. Yeah, especially it's so close to to that source to His Girl Friday. Um, yeah, when when the Red-a-tat-tat dialogue doesn't quite gel like it does with Cary Grant, yeah. Rosalind Russell, which is re- it's unfair to hold anyone up to <laughs> that standard, let alone two people who legendarily hated each other in Kathleen Turner and Burt Reynolds and Christopher Reeve, yeah. who, who is kind of spoofing himself in very unusual and interesting ways. I mean, the the glass elevator yeah. <laughs> scene well, in particular. I think, I think uh, um, Christopher Reeve is an underrated comedian. I mean, I, I think um, like Christopher Reeve and noises off, I think is freaking hilarious. Um, and I think, uh, I think he's funny in this. I mean, I, he worked, Christopher Reeve works for me in this. He does. And Noises and Off. I, I agree. Noises Off is a great is a great film. Um, another one of those that that doesn't seem to get any any recognition. And and Reeve, I always liked as an actor. He could he could do a little bit of everything, and I think he's good here. What the what's funny I think is the the director the director that that took care of switching channels was Ted Kutcheff, who you know is responsible for First Blood and Weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, two That's two right. kind of bookends of the career. He didn't really have a, a a mojo, you know. He was kind of a work for hire guy. He he made a name for doing uh, Wake and Fright uh, as well. I wouldn't say Reynolds is ever a problem. Uh, I think that everyone just wasn't quite on the same page. I remember seeing it. I saw it, you know, at the movies when it came out. And I remember my sister wanted to go, and. You know, my sister's not into classic film at all. And um, and I thought, well, maybe it'll work for her, but it didn't. <laughs> I mean, it's just like she, she thought it was terrible. <laughs> you know, I remember watching it uh, quite frequently. We had the we had the VHS, and it was something I, I popped in 
you know, regularly. Um, I enjoyed it. This is before I had seen either Front Page or His Girl Friday. Uh, you know, watching it again after seeing those certainly changes your overall perception of it. But uh, as yeah. as a modern entity on its own, if we're not putting it up to comparison with one of the greatest screwball comedies ever made, it's perfectly reasonable. And, uh, yeah, it, it yeah. sort of expands the, the Burt Reynolds filmography in interesting ways. I like it. And I, I do recommend that, that people watch it. it. It's a, it's a fun comedy as long as you don't go in expecting his girl Friday. Um, it's also sort of a knock against it that, you know, it was, it was nominated for, for two raspberries, one each for Reeve and Reynolds, which I think is entirely unfair. I, I tell people, you know, because, because I, I got some friends that like watching, um, a classic film with a modern day remake back to back. I mean, some friends and I have kind of like this not annual but maybe every couple of years uh we get together and watch Casablanca back to back with barbed wire <laughs> and it's like we need to do his girl friday and switching channels throw that into the mix it, i think it's fun to compare again you know if you're going into it for the first time and you're thinking ooh a remake of his girl friday you know it's you you're going to be disappointed but if you look at it like a science project it's kind of fun I, th- I think that's definitely a way to approach it, scientifically. Yeah, yeah. Bert, Bert was notorious, <laughs> notoriously all about the science. Right, right. You can tell, yeah, with his career. <laughs> He's throwing everything in those test tubes, you know, see what works. Yep. But that's those three films, yeah, they're, they don't work 100%, except for heat. But <laughs> I think these films work better once you've kind of sampled the the major works in in burt reynolds filmography and then you see you come back to this era and 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 you look at what he's done and and where he went as an actor and what he tried to do by by constantly shifting perception because i know that who wouldn't get sick of being shoehorned into the good old southern boy american beer drinking car driving guy like if your entire career is spent driving a trans am that's that's got to be something you'd want to break away from and this was this was an attempt to do one of those career reinventions that that failed and uh that's an interesting footnote on an otherwise tremendous and very long hollywood career and i mean he must have re- tried to reinvent himself three or four times and he was constantly shifting genres and trying new things and he's not getting got given credit for that or even trying. I mean, people see him as the bandit, and that's, that's it. I don't even think people understand that he's doing it. I don't. I, I don't even think it's a matter of of uh, not not giving him the credit for it. I just don't think they know. I just don't think they think it's going. It's happening. Right. It's kind of like this sort of hand wavy, dismissive thing. And I tend to look at every movie I see in in the context of either. The time period or the person's career. I mean, I grew up in the, you know, late '60s and '70, you know, throughout the '70s. So I saw all these at the movies, you know. So I can't help but look at it with, uh, with it, with that kind of historical context. It's kind of the same thing with with Gene Wilder. When you look at uh, Gene Wilder's career, you know, from Willy Wonka to 
some of his bombs that he did, you know, like Woman in Red or, you know, that type of stuff. And, uh, um, you know, and seeing everything he did in between. And it's the same with Burt, you know, when you see the beginnings of his career, like 100 Rifles or something like that. You watch all those movies and you see where he lands, you know, in the 90s and the early 2000s. And, you know, it's like a really interesting career. Mm -hmm. I agree. Thank you for for coming on and and, and chatting 80s Burt with us. uh, Yeah, no problem. It's fun. I promise next time I'll have a good Carrie Lowell joke. I, I couldn't think of nothing. I'm going to expect at least four or five. What do you think about these films, you know, that are always about, like, you as a trucker and stuff? You know, you just kind of piece of meat with a cowboy hat on. Why did you go in that direction rather than, you know, start swinging into the little, you know, the more classier zones? Well, I... Was that intentional? Uh, you thought, I'm just going to stay in these little... Shows. No, no, no. I, uh, it's intentional. I thought, I just want to make bad movies. <laughs> What do you mean it's intentional? You, you, you do what you're offered, you take the best that's offered. I, th- I heard you turned down terms of endearment, which could, could I, have been I didn't turn it down because your IQ drops 100 points if you say that. I, <laughs> I promised someone I would do another film at that time. And uh, like a jerk, <laughs> I didn't realize that if I'd have just said to Jim Brooks, will you wait for me, he would have said, sure. But uh, I didn't say that. Got, so you made it Smokey the Bear 2 or something instead of Terms of No, it was worse than that. It was, what uh, was it? I hate to tell you. Tell me, come on. Cannonball. Oh. <laughs> I'd like to welcome back Brian Saar, who's graciously decided to come back after 11-year absence to talk about Breaking In. Yes, sir. Um, another favorite Burt movie for me. It, it was one of those movies that made me appreciate Burt. I, I think I was... I don't know. I had a weird impression of Burt in in the 80s and 90s like he was just that big movie star and it was not necess- I didn't feel like he was my movie star necessarily for some reason um well he was but, I mean you're I mean we're roughly the same same yeah. age bracket here and you know he was he was kind of a different generation um you know I didn't I didn't really become a Burt fan until the last I don't know, five, six years when I really went back and started seeing movies that were beyond Burt, per se, um, breaking in included. Um, they were subtle performances rather than Burt. And <laughs> <laughs> that's what really made me appreciate him. You're talking about like the musical uh, at Long Last Love and, and stuff like that that was just kind of swept aside. Um, yeah. like critics and the public and breaking, yeah. breaking in is another one that you know despite having a, a name director in bill forsyth he wasn't really a populist director by any means but i mean he's he's a real goddamn director and this movie kind of disappeared yeah yeah it's too bad because for me uh, i mean i like bert in uh boogie nights as much as the next person but it's it's not like the gigantic comeback role i th- i think sometimes it's attributed to be i mean it is in in a lot of ways but for, i don't mean comeback i guess i mean the you know bringing us bird again in this way and showing it shows it shows the acting it shows what he can do but i guess i've never been as blown away by bert like i like bert in the movie but i he's not in it that much and anyway yeah well i think point part being, of the problem was is that everybody kind of undervalued Bert as an actor. Yeah. 
again we talk about you know Bert uh Bert wasn't an actor Bert was Bert was a a ham that made a bunch of redneck movies um so Boogie Nights while billed as a revelation was really Bert doing what he'd done but he was getting the opportunity to do it in a very visible production by someone for, uh, for someone who knew what he was getting yeah, and who was clearly going to be somebody and made a really great movie that caught the zeitgeist in the right way. Yep. But yeah, I mean, this is what I'm talking about. Like, to me, Burt Reynolds in Breaking In is what I think some people think he is in Boogie Nights or think they're getting in Boogie Nights for the first time or something. And he's just really, like you said, subtle and. It's it's truly one of my favorite. Like I, I prefer the movie to the end, and I like the end. But it's one of my favorite Burt performances in all the performances he's done, and it's not in any way flashy. It's very low key. I should say the story is basically of uh, a sort of over the hill safe cracker who happens upon a like I guess slacker kid played by Casey Shamasco. It's kind of a meat who, cute, really. <laughs> it is. It, 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 Bert is robbing a house that Casey Shamasco's character has this raw ability to be a, a, a criminal. So he likes to break into houses and he like short sheets people's beds. He takes their food. He watches TV. He's a weird, unfocused <laughs> kid. Very strange. But so he and Bert run into each other and either neither one wants to act like they shouldn't be there. Um, but neither one knows the other is breaking into the house. So they, they kind of do this song and dance around each other. Bert makes some excuse about what he's there for. And it's a great, it is a really good meet cute. I like it a lot. But anyway, he, he takes Casey Shamasco under his wing and, you know, starts to teach him to be a thief and how he sets up jobs on a small scale. It's like, it's like a low key comedy version of thief maybe with, with, Yeah, I mean, that's how I guess how you see that. Yeah. Yeah. Ernie is an artist, an expert, a master at what he does. I'm a uh, currency relocator. Mike is just breaking in. I think they'd notice that one. You and I are in the same business, kid. Huh? Monkey business. Ever need an assistant? Tonight. It's not a job for everyone. What? These pants legs are a little long. Well, let's go home. But he's learning the ropes from the best in the business. Put your hands in your pocket. They like hands. The Samuel Goldwyn Company and Act 3 Productions present Breaking In, a comedy directed by Bill Forsyth and written by John Sayles that teaches you everything you need to know about psychology. You start thinking about who you're stealing from. You might as well pack it in and become a social worker. Chemistry. So today, Mr. Wizard teaches you how to make liquid explosive. Sex education. Do you have a cheerleader? No, I, but did, did you want me to be one? No, I because you should have said something. Because I can, I could, do, I could do that right now if you want. I could, I could get some things. Driver's Ed. Whose is that? Well, it's mine. It ain't no white man's car. <laughs> it ain't no black man's car either. Ethics. Where'd you get that apple? Right there. Next time you want an apple, you buy it. And economics. You paid him, didn't you? Yeah. I thought she liked me. She did like you. She said she liked you. Well, then maybe she didn't want to pay. I mean, I never paid before. Yes, you did. In one form or another, you did. Trust me. Whoever said there's no honor among thieves? Holy moly! 
trust me with the money? Hey, uh, you uh, trust me with the money? Yeah. Never met guys like Mike. Mike Lafouf. And Ernie. Ernie what? Ernie's enough. Bird Reynolds, Casey Chamosco, breaking in. Hey, Ernie, we doing the right thing? No. Doing the wrong thing, kid. We're thieves, remember? But um, <laughs> but it's just it's I came to it because of John Sales. I, I went on a huge John Sales run in the early '90s, uh, and I was watching everything I could that you know I could get my hands on, and I started seeing all the scripts that he had done, the, you know, the alligators, the piranhas, uh, that kind of thing. And then I came across this, and he wrote the script for this one, and I was like, well, that sounds interesting. And I was already a three o'clock high fan, so I was like, why not? And yeah, it's just one that I've really come to like a lot. It's it's very much a, you know, as you might expect from Bill Forsyth, it's a gr- it's just a, a character comedy, you know, F- uh, foibles and all. And there's something there's something about John Sayles' words and Burt Reynolds. I, I I don't know if that was just me, but they seem to really fit together. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I I can't explain that, but I think you're right. And I really wish they had more of an opportunity because I feel like they're kind of kindred spirits as well. Like you listen to John Sayles talk and, and they just they just seem to fit together. Yeah, and it's fascinating to me to think that they do considering that you've got, you know, one of the, you know, hottest box office stars of, you know, big Hollywood of his era and beyond and then Mr independent filmmaker Mm -hmm. and so you wouldn't think the two would go together but you know i I feel what you're saying it's great and i feel like this this, i don't really have a whole lot to base it on i mean we've got this movie i mean expectations for this could be damning you know it 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 just doesn't it doesn't do what you expect and when it still manages to avoid and usurp your expectations in the end you're kind of wondering well what was that exactly (laughs) Yeah. Upon reflection, and uh, it was my second rewatch that that I uh, came to decide that the the sales and Burt combo was just uh, an unexpected delight. And I I don't want to say too much about the ending, but the ending is what really, really does it. Yeah. But But, it 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 pushes all the right buttons. Yeah. It feels true to, you know, sales and his sort of abilities and his take on movies you know i mean he's just a he's a self-aware writer and an incredibly intelligent Mm -hmm. and naturalistic writer so it's clear he's going to want to do something to try and well to at least be aware of your expectations and then you know hold it to the last minute to let you know what he's going to do kind of but in that low-key way which all of it yeah but yeah, the, the, I think this one didn't catch as much for me. Outside of liking the Burt performance, I was like, wow, I've just never seen him like this at the time I watched it. Um, but it didn't catch as much for me this, until the second and third time I watched it. And then I was just like, oh, man, I just adore this. I really like this a lot. It is playing against Burt type because in this movie, Burt's the one that's the realist. He's the one that you know, doesn't want to stand out or spend any of the money. He's saving it all away and he's trying to calm this wild and rambunctious kid who want who takes every chance to flaunt his his earnings and wealth and Bert's constantly going, you know, hush hush, lay low and, you know, try not to be noticed. And that's 
that's really not what you expect. Um, I guess at this point in Bert's career, you don't know what to expect, though. I mean, <laughs> the, the 80s were such a, a wash for him, critically and commercially. Yeah, I mean, there's that, still several in here I haven't seen. Physical evidence I haven't seen. There's a few others. But, yeah, it is it is not necessarily his decade um, in terms of consistency. So, but yeah, they at were that consistently point, I, well, I, poorly regarded. That was his consistency. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Rent a cop, definitely pers- consistently poorly regarded. Um, which I don't totally agree with. I just know that it's it's often the butt of jokes, and it's got its well, fans I mean, too. He's, the, the whole you start with Stroke Race in 1983, and just every <laughs> movie he made in the 80s was has been a punchline for something. You know, yeah. I, I don't agree. Um, with all the assessments, I, I think there's a, a number of films in there that are worth watching. Um, Absolutely. But um, they they were definitely the butt of many jokes. And I, I, for out of curiosity, I looked at the IMDb ratings, not that they're anything to go on, but it is a, a sort of gauge of widespread popular opinion. Um, Breaking In is the highest uh, of the 80s output, starting with Stroker Ace, that whole run. Um, 83 to 89 at 6.2. Okay. Um, and most of them are, are around five, which is wow, really quite poor on IMDb. <laughs> heat, heats. We were talking about heat before we started. Is that uh, low too? It's all yeah. The all it's of the range. Heat, heat, stick heat Malone, um, all five 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 six five seven. Yeah. That is a bunch of hogwash. It, it I'll is. Tell you. It is. It is considering that. Uh, let's see. What was a uh, rent a cop? Did he even write that one? Rent a cop was four four, for a point of comparison. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Especially with Heat, and I like Stick and Malone too, but Heat is, and and I won't get. I know you've already discussed that, but it's a it's that's a gem too, and for that to be rated so low is. Ah, ridiculous. I, it gets to the point where I think that there's just expectations, and expectations yeah. override any actual subjectivity. Um, especially when we're talking about those the his mid '80s output. People, I don't think people ever gave it a shot, especially going back to watch it. Yeah, I'm hoping. I mean, if there is any kind of bright side at all to his passing is that people will dig into all of it because there's a lot and i feel like a lot of people haven't seen a lot of it so i don't think they have i i think they think they've seen it i think they think yeah. they've seen a lot of these movies but um... well and i think that's the other downside to being a bert is that you're you you think bert just shows up and is bert all the time and so you see right. one of his movies you've seen any of his movies he's interchangeable and that's I, I get it. I get why that happens with big stars, but yeah, you're cheating yourself if you're not if you're if you've if you've made that assumption. Uh, you're missing some great Burt movies that aren't just Burt movies. You yeah, know? it's it's the downside to being the most visible and popular person in the world for I yeah. mean, a significant period of time. I mean, the 1976 to 1980, really. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, is an amazing it, run. He's he's box office champing it for most of that period, and yeah, 
That's crazy. Like I said, you and, and talking about the end. I mean, uh, a really unusually constructed black comedy melodrama. I I don't know how else to made forty four <laughs> million dollars. It just still blows my mind. It it's it's so bizarre. I saw that number and I had to double check. Like I couldn't believe that was true. <laughs> and this is from. I mean, I liked the movie. Yeah, um, yeah, no, but. <laughs> it says something huge about you know how big he was right then yeah I don't, you know? I don't even know if we don't even have a point of comparison today i mean it's i can't think of one nobody no single person is that big i mean tom yeah. cruise is the last is really the last movie star and yeah even he can't do that kind of business outside of mission impossible yeah no he's not he's not doing uh suicide comedy anytime soon no he's and he's not even he's not a, he's not a draw on his own anymore i mean you saw what happened with uh, his other projects recently the jack reacher films didn't didn't fare all that well and the mummy certainly wasn't exactly a, a smash yeah no it's we're i i i do understand how we we sort of we are evolving past that i mean hollywood has always been a place of like interchangeable stars um which you know because of the the industry not because of the actors because i think the actors continue to be great uh you know far past the time that hollywood's given up on them but um but yeah i just i feel like we're we're seeing that slip away and i know i'm gonna miss it when it's totally gone you know yeah you lose that that character driven film is is the greatest loss when you lose the the star performance and the star power that some of these actors could bring and um i mean that we haven't really seen that since what late 90s yeah no i guess it's been it's basically been gone for a long time <laughs> so but true. yeah the the so as we touched on earlier the the under the the bright side to to losing Bert is that there really does seem to be a, a rediscovery of a, of a number of these films and a renewed public interest. I mean, I've been, I've been repping Hooper a lot lately as the movie that, so, that, you know, bandit fans didn't see. And, um, people are, have actively sought out Hooper and, and that's great. And I hope that people will take the opportunity to see some of the movies we're talking about today. I mean, the end, um, heat, we even recommended switching channels earlier, you know? <laughs> yeah. I'm all for that. I mean, I'm obviously for, uh, Sharky's machine. Yep. Uh, I mean, he's got so much stuff that, you know, I guess cinephile slash bird fans know, but the public who would still enjoy it haven't yet given it a shot. And I'm really excited because I've been touched to see, you know, my social media timelines lit up with Burt watches, you know, whether they be uh, best little whorehouse or Smokey or whatever. Yeah. Uh, I, I love that kind of excitement. I, again, it always often comes from a place. Yeah. Of, it's unfortunate that know, it usually demise, takes but... the, the demise of such an actor to, to reinvigorate uh, the population, but um, it's better late than never. Uh, yeah. And uh, I noticed on Amazon, somebody told me that they couldn't find a, a copy of Cannonball Run. Whoa. And I was like, that can't be true. And I looked up on Amazon. They're like out. The DVD was selling for like 20 something dollars. And Holy the Blu-ray wasn't even available. I'm like, well, 
I good for everybody, I guess, that they're finally getting around to picking up the Cannonball Run Blu-ray. But uh, <laughs> you know, it's a start. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but no, I really appreciate you asking me to do this because uh, I I I am a big fan of his, and he hasn't come up on. I mean, he's come up on the show. We we got a nice uh, pure cinema interview with um, with. Adam Rifkin talking about the last movie star and he had some great Bert stories and some Bert picks. And so we did do a little bit of Bert on the show, but not as much as I would like, uh, based on how, how I feel about him, you know, which yeah, is, that was, I like him a lot. That was a great episode. And, and he was a, he was a wonderful storyteller there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> talking no, talking he, about the movie. I still yeah, have yet, great. yet to pick it up and uh, I need to do that. Uh, last movie star. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't seen it yet. It, it's on Amazon Prime. Uh, if anybody wants to see it, I think uh, they can check it there too. Well, there's another one for everybody. Yeah. So much Bert. So there's so, plenty of time. So much Bert. Uh, I'll probably yeah, be but, trying to sneak in a few more, a few more uh, overdue Bert watches this this week before I uh, get into the horror viewing, the required yeah, horror viewing. <laughs> too bad Bert never did it, horror. I, that's that's the one thing he didn't oh, do, I guess. Didn't I feel like? Didn't he do like one? Let's see. Now I'm like interested. Was, it wasn't the Mangler, but it was like the Mangler. It was something like. Hold on a second. Though I, I did I'll, see that volleyball movie that he did. Um, uh, what the hell is that called? That was pretty horrifying. <laughs> Wait, volleyball movie? Cloud oh, man. Nine. Cloud Nine. Um, I have not seen that. Yep. All right, Cloud that Nine. I gotta do. Co-starring D.L. Hewley, Angie Everhart, Paul Rodriguez. Yeah, it. It was something. Paul Rodriguez. Yeah, 2006, wow. Cloud Nine. It's pretty, pretty okay. damn terrible. Um, I gotta watch of... it with Side Out or something like that. Oh yeah, if you pair it with something, uh, I think you can probably <laughs> come up with a good combo to do that. You know, there there's um, you know some some famous volleyball players stop by, but um, <laughs> I don't. I saw it used. And I'm like, well, I have to I have to buy this clearly. Yeah. No, I would have too. Is it only on VHS? Oh, no, it's a DVD. I found it on DVD. Oh, nice. Yeah. All right, good. All right, dang it. I know that there's... Oh, The Maddening. That's what I was trying to think of. Yeah, The Maddening. Oh, there. yeah. He goes... It says, Burt Reynolds finally goes completely insane in this psycho horror flick about a deranged father who'll stop at nothing to pr- protect his family's secrets. I never and did. Sarah. See, yeah, I never did see this one, but now I have to. Uh, and this could have been a pick. I mean, I, I doubt it's going to be a mind blower, but um, it's got Josh Mostel, William Hickey. Uh, I feel like I saw somebody else in it. Anyway, um, I'm glad you mentioned the horror thing because this wouldn't have occurred to me to even look for it um, had you not said something like well, that. Well, I, I offhand, offhand thoughts really resulted in something worthwhile here. Look at what this director has done. Wow, he's done some some terrible stuff yeah it's, <laughs> it's uh john houston's kid danny houston directed it it's crazy look at that that is crazy anyway um yeah so that's something i gotta check out another thing that another cool thing that came out of this but like i said i do appreciate being asked yeah no and, I, uh, I wanted to make sure i i, I knew i knew if such few people who were who were most definitely worthy of of some some burt love and uh you were at the top of the list because I know we talked Bird a couple of times. Absolutely, yes. Well, thank you so much for for coming on and and 
filling out some Burt Love and um, yeah. My pleasure. I can't wait to hear the whole thing because I'm sure it's going to spur me to want to watch more Burt, which I have no problem with at all. You did a film, Boogie Nights, that people absolutely loved, and I'm told that you turned down the offer to do that movie seven times. That's true. I, I, I have a hard time with that whole... i better use another adjective. I have a difficult time looking... <laughs> It's just, it just wasn't my kind of film. You right, know? right. So I the thought The subject I, matter of uh, making pornographic films it, and all exactly. that, it made you uncomfortable. It did. It made me very uncomfortable. Yeah. Because I was afraid they might recognize me. <laughs> Is this true that you so were, were, we were... Even after shooting the movie, I'm told that you were so uncomfortable making the movie that after the movie was done, before he would even seen it, you wanted to hit the director, Paul Thomas Anderson. You wanted to hit him in the face. Uh, no, I didn't want to hit him in the face. I just wanted to hit him. <laughs> <laughs> he, I don't think he liked me. Really? No. He, he had such a... I mean, you had, gave such a brilliant performance in that film. Thank and, you very uh, much. Yeah, you, you really did. And <laughs> perfect for that role. Uh, I heard at the time that you didn't even want to see yourself in Boogie Nights. Have you seen it yet? Have you seen no, it? I haven't seen it. You haven't watched it? No, I don't want to see it. It's fantastic. <laughs> come on. You could come to my place. We could watch Boogie Nights and get comfortable. <laughs> oh, oh, I might do that. Okay, all right. <laughs> I screen it regularly. Because uh... you're going to bookend the you're going to you're going to bookend the entire episode here. Oh my gosh. <laughs> no, I, no pressure. I didn't, you know, didn't mean to throw that out there. <laughs> but you are opening and closing the Burt special. So <laughs> let's talk about Boogie Nights. Okay. Well, Boogie Nights, I, I mean, it's absolutely my, my favorite uh, Paul Thomas Anderson movie. And it was a, this was a surprise to me when I didn't see it in the movie theater when it came out. Um, we rented it, and I remember being like, "Oh, I do not want to see this. It's about porn. I mean, ugh, I don't. It's not my. This is not my thing." And um, uh, my husband was like, "No, no. I read an article about it, and I was like, okay, okay, I'll, we'll we'll try it." And um, I was just blown away with how good it is. I I really really enjoyed it. Everyone's given one special thing, right? Everyone's blessed with one special thing. I want you to know I plan on being a star. A big, bright, shining star. Eddie Adams from Torrance. Yep. Jack Horner, filmmaker. I make it. Exotic pictures. In 1977, a kid from nowhere made me think about your name. My name, yeah. Something a little pizzazz. Dirk Diggler. Good name. I like your name a lot. Had a dream of getting somewhere. Jack Horner has found something special in newcomer Dirk Dickler. So let me just pop in his A-track, and you just give a listen to him what you think, okay? It was a time when disco was king. These are the ones. These are great. Yeah, those are really cool. Are they lizard? No, they're Italian. Do you like my shoes? They're pretty cool. Sex was safe. Woo-hoo! 
pleasure was a business. Cut. Terrific. Nice work. And business was booming. And the award for best newcomer goes to Mr. Dirk Fiddler. Wow. Goodbye, 1979. Hello, 1980. Are you ready? But in 1980... Come on, you puppies! The party was over. You are fired! What? You're fired! <laughs> it's jealousy, it's deceitfulness, it's vindictiveness, but, I mean, God, what can you expect when you're on top? Oh, wait, 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 wait. Not this part. New Line Cinema presents... A portrait of two decades in the life of a business, the days of a dreamer, and the nights in between. Boogie Nights. And there's so many really good performances in it, it's hard to even pick out, you know, there, I mean, you have, you know, Wahlberg, I think, really knocked it out of the park in this. He did a great job. This is the first time I I think I considered him an actual actor. Uh, yeah. He, he's always going to be Marky Mark to me. Like, I can't, yeah. I can't ever, I will, I will almost never call him Mark Wahlberg in yeah. any conversation. Um, but this is the first time I definitely noticed him uh, as an actor. Yeah. He's he's does a really good job. There's a there's a scene when he's at Alfred Molina's house, um, and the camera fixes on him for a while while he's trying to decide what to do. And you see him; he sort of looks like he's zoning out because he's so drug-addled and 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 probably hasn't slept in a week or something. Um, and then he just gets up and says, "Okay, we're we're gonna go now." But the, the the expression on his face, I remember thinking like, wow, that th- it was really good and that you could have done something really very big, very over the top. But he really doesn't. I mean, he's actually kind of subtle, even though, you know, there are times when he's all coked out that he's ranting and raving and stuff. But that seems sort of normal, you know, mm-hmm. for someone who's all coked out. Um, but all the performances on Bert, I really like in this. I mean, it's hard not to like his character, too, because he plays the most grounded character. You got maybe 15, 20 guys standing around just making sure that your lighting is right. But you can work out in the morning, you can work out at noon, you can work out at night. Doesn't matter. If you don't have those juices flowing down there in the Mr. Torpedo area in the fun zone. You got to get the people in the theater. You know, you need the big dicks, the big tits. Oh, here we go. How do you keep them in the theater after they've come? With beauty and with acting. No, I understand. You got to get them in the theater. You know, you got to keep the seats full. But I don't want to make a film where they show up, they sit down, they jack off, and they get up and they get out before the story ends. It is my dream, it is my goal, it is my idea to make a film that the story just sucks them in. And when they spurt out that joy juice, they just gotta sit in it. They can't move until they find out how the story ends. You know, I want to make a film like that. 
And I understand, you know, they have to make films. I bait them myself, you know, that are a few laughs. Everybody fucks their brains out, and that's fine. That's my dream, to make a film that is true and right and dramatic. You sure you don't want a fresca? You know, he plays Jack Horner. I mean, the, the movie, if you haven't seen it, is a dramatization of things that happened in the 70s and early 80s porn industry in California. And it talks, it talks about different issues like moving from film to, to video um, and um, moving from more produced uh, films that were... Um, with actual actors, even though they might not be the best actors, they were actually actors. That's what they did. They were in porn films, but they at, were actors. Um, to just video shooting anybody doing, you know, things to one another. <laughs> Which, when uh -huh. the 80s came and you have all the VHS and, and things like that, I guess that's part of that, is that you could just make these quickies in five seconds with anybody off the streets. Um, so it goes from like the, it's almost like the studio system kind of, you know, it's like old Hollywood versus, you know, <laughs> but it's in the porn industry and it's kind of interesting and it deals with all these characters who are almost like a little family. And part of the reason they're a family is because they're probably been ostracized by their own families. And you see that in a couple of instances where Wahlberg is fighting with his mother and where, um, Julianne Moore is trying to gain access to custody of her son or just to see her son and her husband, John Doe, which cracks me up, <laughs> um, is, um, is fighting her on cu the, the custody issue and stuff like that. But, you know, so they're ostracized from their real, you know, biological families. And so they sort of form a family of their own around the, and they're all, you know, in the porn industry. But you get to like them. Yeah, the, and it, the best part of the movie is the way that it, it it supplies plenty of empathy for these characters. It's it's not judging them. No, it, it, it's it's funny and satirical, but it's never it's never using these these characters, these people, um, and the porn industry as the butt of the joke. No, no, it really isn't. I mean, and and I. I wondered how it would be before I saw it, you know, and, and I, as I said, I, I was not excited to see this movie. Um, but it's, it's just excellent. I mean, you know, from just the relationships and you're trying to figure out what the relationship between Burt Reynolds and Julianne Moore really is. Um, because they, it seems to be asexual, you mm -hmm. know, but, um, but they live together. And then, you know, then you have Heather Graham is roller girl who's sort of their de facto daughter, because here he is telling her to clean up her room and stuff the way a dad would, you know, and uh, so there's that kind of thing. And then, you know, I don't know, it's really neat. Like, I, I kind of, you like the characters. Reed Rothschild is, he's really funny. What's his name? Um, John... C. Riley, John C. Riley, yeah, yeah, he does a great job in this film. 
Well, I mean, the, and, the cast is ridiculous. Like, everybody that's in here is recognizable from... Yeah. I mean, you, you go all the way down, like, Robert Downey Sr.'s in here. Um, you know, Alfred Molina has a small role. Ricky Jay uh, pops up. Uh, Thomas Jane, Philip Baker Hall, all these people. Right. In many ways, it reminds me of what Altman was doing in the 70s. Yeah. Well, the, the first time I saw this film, that's what I thought. I thought this is a modern Altman film. Um and in a way, it's and it's tighter than an Altman film because mm-hmm. I mean there are aspects of Altman's films I don't love all of Altman's films I like a lot I like uh, quite a few of them I really enjoy, but some of them are just so sort of meandering that it's hard for me to really sort of gain purchase. You know, you <laughs> you're watching it going I I can't I can't get into this because he's so all over the place. But this one I thought. You know, this is this is Altman, very tight Altman. Um, this is like Nashville to me, um, the way that it, that pulls together. Yeah, I mean, I I can see that. Um, I, I I definitely can see that. But you know, just but yeah, as you said, yeah, even the small parts like Joanna Gleason playing his mother. You know that she's a real you know she's a good, really good actress and she has a nice part. She's only on screen for like what two minutes, three minutes it's, tops, yeah. but she has a nice part and it's memorable. Um, and it, all of the Philip, Philip Baker Hall, I mean um, Philip Seymour Hoffman, mm-hmm. is it's amazing how chameleon like he he really could be, you know, because this is so different from other parts I've seen him in, but he completely disappears into this role. But they all do. It's it's a really well acted film, but it's also really well directed, and um, just down to the touches. And I really liked I liked the costumes, the music is appropriate. Um, it's just a really good film. But Burt Reynolds' character is, as I said, I think the most grounded because he he's not on drugs, um, which some of them are at different times uh, in in the film. So he seems to be like fairly straight laced in terms of that in terms of like being on drugs and stuff and he's in charge and so and he is sort of the father figure of all these people so he has some and there's some gravitas to him as he walks in the room he carries himself really well in this and he he is in charge and i just and like when at at a at a point when he gets challenged by mark Wahlberg, just Know, drugs and acting crazy and stuff like that, and he challenges the you know Burt Reynolds' authority. Burt's great in that part, and he just really slaps him back, you know. But you see his face change from okay, you know, why don't you go sit down to are you don't you f with me, buddy, you know, mm-hmm. in like in whips whip fast and 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 the way it would happen. Every time I watch this movie, I'm blown away by it. It's two and a half hours, isn't it? It's yeah, really it's long. A, it's a long film. But it's, um, but it's not ever boring. There's always something cool happening. There's always some good performance on, you know, Don Cheadle, another really great mm-hmm. uh, actor that's in this. I can't say enough good things about this. And Reynolds was nominated for everything, and he won a Golden Globe and every other thing. And this is only Academy Award nomination, and he yep. fired his agent as a result of this movie. And the winner is. Da, 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 da. Burt Reynolds, Boogie Nights! Nope. 
You know, if you, if you hang on to things long enough, they get back in style, like me. Um, I'm, I'm flabbergasted. Uh, I, <coughs> I'm on thank the foreign press. I, uh, they don't think you're as good as your last movie. They think you're as good as your best movie. Um, it's, um, it's been real quiet for about three years. Seen a lot of television. Uh, I want to. Uh, I want to say that uh, Paul, who made this picture, Thomas Anderson, who who was so brave to make this film, and and I kept saying, no, I can't do this picture because I bring some baggage to it that uh, maybe you don't want. And. Uh, I don't know how he thought I was going to be father knows best of this picture. But uh, I didn't want anybody with blue hair running in there and running out that grew up with me on film. And, and I think we, uh, the, the group that was in it, the finest young actors I've ever worked with in my life, uh, brought some humanity to it and uh, hopefully some class. And, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm as excited uh, just to rubberneck here with you people who I haven't seen in a long time. And, uh, and uh, God bless you all. Uh, just remember that the old Stradivarius plays better than the new ones. He often had testy relationships with directors, and uh, the stories from the set indicate that he and P.T. Anderson were, did not get along. Right. Um, he, after Reynolds fired his agent before the movie even came out, um, he he saw the initial cut of the film and fired the agent and um anderson also asked even despite their difficulties uh, anderson asked him to come back to be in magnolia oh really yeah. i didn't know that yeah yeah he he says that even though like he says it later on he he sort of reckon reynolds reconciled with how good this film really was yeah. later on i guess and well, he, you start winning. Um, you start winning awards as a result, and I think that, that probably changes your perception of of how you initially saw it. Right. But and I would stand by this. It's one, I think it's one of the best performances that he ever has in a film. Boogie Nights and uh, Deliverance are probably the two performances that are just the most stellar of of his career, as far as I can see. Um, but yeah, yeah, he and he wouldn't go on tour. He wouldn't go on the press junket for for the film, and he wouldn't talk to the press about it and all this kind of stuff, which they do say has might have had something to do with his not winning the uh, the Oscar. So he was nominated, but he he didn't play the game, and he didn't, you know, take out the ads in Variety, you know, or for your consideration, or yeah. blah blah blah, and all this kind of crap that they do. Um, so that may have had something to do with his not winning it. I don't know who won it that year. I'd have to look it up. But um, which is too bad. But it doesn't doesn't take away from his performance, which I think is wonderful. Did you like it from the start? Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, I was a P.T. Anderson fan at that point. I had I'd seen Heart Eight and loved it. Um, so I was I was looking forward to this. I didn't know. You know, I couldn't quite tell what he'd gotten himself into filming a movie about the porn industry in the 70s and 80s. Um, I, I was very curious. Uh, and 
I was very surprised at the same time. Like I had expectations, um, but uh, the film surpassed them. And uh, yeah, I it, it's been so long. It's it's hard to remember my initial reaction. You know, you, you start to overwrite it with your your subsequent viewings. But I know that I always enjoyed it, and uh, I was. Uh, involved in a number of debates about the film immediately afterward about about the quality or worthiness of it because i think people still did have a tough time reconciling the fact that a movie about pornography could be so insightful and interesting and really get into the characters i think people uh had trouble with the way that the characters were humanized almost they were they were supposed to be um cartoonish or some sort of um two-dimensional caricature right i think that would have that would have allowed people to like it if if it totally put down the porn industry if it totally put down right um it wasn't broad there was the the humor wasn't broad and the situ- and no. it wasn't it wasn't presented in a way that would have been palatable to a wide audience but if if you saw and actually cared to if you cared to see what he did with the characters and how you know they they related to each other and and how they were part of this this bigger industry that it was a livelihood for many people and not all of them were scum you know like right in a way you know this if we take this back to to Bert's uh uh, like Hooper and Smoking the Bandit, where he's making these sort of uh, roles or characters that would have been played for laughs or played at the expense expense of a, a certain type of demographic. He really gives them personalities, like the 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 truckers and Smoking the Bandit, the the blue collar. Um, people that that he showcases in his films the stuntmen and hooper um he gives these people faces and personalities it seems in his films now i understand it wasn't you know he didn't do it in boogie nights but he's been associated with that that kind of filmmaking throughout his career yeah yeah i would i would have to agree i mean just yeah i i really enjoyed the fact that these were people that, that that these were people who, I mean, it, and it is the same as you said in in like White Lightning and Gator and Hooper and the Smokey and the Bandit films and all that kind of stuff. And some of them are caricatures. You know, you have the 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 there's the comic relief. Yeah, there's stuff, comic relief. You know? um, but the people that he's concerned about in the in these films definitely stand out. Well, I mean, I keep thinking about in White Lightning, Matt Clark, who plays Dude, who plays like a, um, he's a mechanic, and he's been busted for um, for moonshine, something with moonshine. You know, I can't remember what exactly he had gotten arrested for, but he's been arrested, and so um, he's working with the feds too to um, to help bring down. Ned Beatty, the the corrupt sheriff, but it shows him, and he's like sitting here going, "Man, you know, I don't want to do this. I just want to. I'm fixing cars. I just this is what I do. I fix cars, you know." And he's just like, he got embroiled in this mess because 
you know, he was fixing the cars or, or maybe driving the cars of somebody doing moonshine. And, and so now he's stuck in this trap and he can't get out, you know? And, um, so yeah, yeah, definitely the little guy, um, he talks about, but things like, but I don't know. There's just certain characterizations. And part of the fact in, in Boogie Nights, part of the fact is that he picked such an amazing cast. I mean, everybody's so talented in the cast, um, Macy and, and, you know, Cheadle and everyone, Walters, um, all these characters are, and they're so good, but it's also very well written. I can't say enough good things about Boogie Nights. And, and I, I've had conversations with people too about, you know, they're like, well, how can you like that? It's about porn. And I'm like, well, it's not really about porn. It's about people who are in the porn industry. Um, and how they relate to one another, how they relate to the outer world, because every time they t- deal with the outer world, they get screwed. You know, like Don Cheadle and was a Melora Walters, they try to get a, a loan so he can open a, a legitimate business. And because he has done porn in the past, he can't get a loan. So, right. you know, he's trying to do things the way everybody tells him he's supposed to, and he can't because he, he you know, did this thing that they don't like. Um, and Julianne Moore is trying to gain custody of her son, or at least see her son, and she can't because of her livelihood. I know the the Oscars aren't always the the greatest reflection of, of on screen quality, but I can't understand how she didn't win um, for best supporting actress that year. It's, she it's is really good. She is really well. Bec- I would imagine that part of it is that it's about pornography. It's the same, you know, it's the same kind of thing where like comedies don't win or action films don't win, even though sometimes there's some fantastic acting in act or, or stunts or effects or whatever. They might win for those kind of things, the special effects, but they're not going to win for acting or directing or writing. Same with comedy Mm. and, and same with something that's about pornography. I mean, I just feel like that's, I'm surprised that Burt got nominated. Um, even though he's the pornographer and, and he's, he's the, the least, least pornographic, yeah. you know, <laughs> it's true. in the film. Hard to say how much I love this film. I really just enjoy it so much. And I don't have this feeling for other uh, Paul Thomas Anderson films. Um, and here's the supporting actor nominees uh, for that Academy Awards. You had Robert Forrester for Jackie Brown, Anthony Hopkins for Amistad, Greg Kinnear, As Good As It Gets, then Burt for Boogie Nights, and Robin Williams won for Goodwill Hunting. Mm-hmm. It was a good, I mean, that's a good bunch of performances. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's no way that Robin Williams wasn't going to win. Oh, no, that, that, was, that was a sure thing beforehand. <sighs> right. And they wanted to give um, something to that film, too, because, I mean, they gave him, they gave Scream, him the what, screenplay, screenplay, I think. supporting actor, yeah. Yeah. They wanted to do something good for them. For, you know, they really liked that they were the darlings of that Oscar, as I recall. Um but well it's is titanic's year oh that was titanic yeah that was that, that was year? that oh, was okay. the year i sat and watched the oscars and threw things at the television repeatedly uh, right. by the end of the by the end of the thing i i felt like it was more like self-flagellation like waiting for that thing to to be awarded and i didn't have anything else around me to throw oh yeah yeah no i um i i still haven't seen that film <laughs> It just doesn't interest me. Um. I haven't either, to be honest, but I definitely know I don't want to watch it. 
uh, at this point, it's kind of like a, a morality thing. Like I've said, I wouldn't watch it. And yeah, I'm just, I, can't. I, I did. I did some of the same thing. I was like, I'm not. No, I'm not playing into your hands, Hollywood. I'm not doing it. But I've seen the Titanic movies, A Night to Remember. Yeah, with Kenneth with Kenneth Moore. I I absolutely adore that film. Raise the Titanic. <clears throat> <laughs> oh, <laughs> I mean, and there is another Titanic film um, with Barbara Stanwyck that is a little more sort of of melodrama about, you know, the families and like, oh, you go, I'll stay here, you know, that kind of, you know, thing, which, you know, has some good acting in it, but it's not really a big favorite of mine. Um, But A Night to Remember is a terrific film. That's a really good film. It's really well made. And and I'll watch anything Kenneth Moore is in because I just think he's terrific. But anyway, we digressed again. A little bit, a little bit. I, I just went to look up Raise the Titanic because I, I felt it had a, a connection here, and then I needed to clarify it. It's uh, directed by Jerry Jameson, who directed, who was one of the directors on Heat with Burt Reynolds. Oh, okay. So we're we're gonna we're gonna bring it around. There was a point to this conversation after all. <laughs> he, Jerry Jameson was one of the five directors that worked on Heat. There were five directors that worked on Heat. Five directors worked on Heat. Um, not well, so it was originally an Altman movie. He casted the film and then quit. And then Richards, Dick Richards, was it Dick Richards? Um, came on and he, uh, Burt Reynolds, punched him, so he left. <laughs> and then Jerry Jameson came on and he quit some uh somebody else was involved i can't remember the next director and then richards came back fell off a crane during a crane shot and had to be hospitalized oh my gosh um yeah i can't can't remember who else was involved the burt reynolds calls the the uh richard sued burt reynolds for assault for the the fist fight and the punch, um, they settled for fifty thousand dollars, and Burt Reynolds always referred to it as his fifty thousand dollar punch. <laughs> I like that. He, I like that he came back for more after they'd run through three other directors, and then falls off a crane. It's it's oh really a bizarre. Yeah. It was only a. 36 day shoot I believe as well so there were six directors over wow. the course of 36 days <laughs> that is really something well um, I think we've talked about it I, yeah it's, it's, <laughs> it's in there that's that's why we have editing and I can I can piece it together okay. but yeah um, since this is the last episode or the last segment I, I thank thank you and everybody for coming on and, and, and talking Bert and, and sharing all of our, our Bert love and loss here. It's, <laughs> it was, it was very sad, um, to, as a, what's a week ago yesterday that, that he passed, but, um, I think we're all still feeling it and we're all still feeling the urge to, to rewatch some of our favorites and go back and, and find some of them that we missed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when he died, I was kind of like, oh, gee. You know, it's another one of those sort of end of an era type deaths. It really is. You know, where you're just like, I grew up watching those films. Um, some of them in the theater, some of them later rented, you know, from Blockbuster or somewhere. 
but he was such a character. Plus, he was on, he was on TV, and so you know he'd see him on Johnny Carson or, um, well, Dinah Shore, um, obviously early on. But because um, I remember watching all those talk shows because I had to see all the actors because back then you, you didn't have the behind the scenes kind of access that you do now. That you know, either on Blu-ray extras or, you know, some video that somebody uploads on YouTube from a film festival. Yeah, their 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 star power was very carefully curated, and the only yeah. time you really got to see them step out just a little bit was on those talk shows, especially Carson. I feel like Carson got a lot oh, yeah. out of some of these stars that were very carefully guarded. And I, I, this, this past week, I went back and watched some of Bert's spots on Carson and it was remarkable to me. Like the, the things he confessed on there to, to Johnny when they were just having some banter and he's always mm-hmm. very funny. And, you know, the, the, I used the word charming about 47 times during this episode, but even when he's talking about it could be the the most mundane pieces of his existence and he still managed to inject it all with this warm personality and you just wanted to listen to him talk just about his life and mm-hmm. um you know if if i i recommend it you know everyone go back and and just just google burt reynolds look him up on on youtube and and watch some of these segments and uh, you know get a better sense of the guy behind the the big smile and and laugh yeah totally agree i and there's a lot of actors like that 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 really you you and i always felt like at that time i was seeing something that no one else was seeing it's a weird kind of feeling that because i was massively into films from birth and you know there wasn't the kind of thing that there is now so if I happen to like be watching TV a cool movie came on because that's the only time you could see it right it would just show up you didn't have any there was not like you know streaming so um, if I happen to catch a gem on you know of a movie on TV on you know on Sunday afternoon I'd be thrilled same thing with the talk shows it, it, you know and, and you'd be like oh my god Burt Reynolds is gonna be on oh I gotta watch that because he's always so funny and you know he does outrageous things sprays whipped cream in Johnny Carson's pants and you know all the funky stuff like that that you know you always felt like so cool that you got to see that you know <laughs> sort of like let into the back room kind of to see some of the stuff and um so i still have memories of that and he just had, he did you're you're right charming is the perfect word for him very just affable it seems like he's a guy that it wouldn't matter if you were just a regular person you know that it wouldn't matter if you were the president of a corporation or some guy he met on the street he would just be he would talk to you the same way that's the that's how he seems anyway to me um and it was and it's funny because um he was clearly a very passionate person uh he was passionate with his friendships and um he's also passionately uh, against certain people he there, yeah. i mean he had a lot of uh, legendary feuds and and disagreements with directors and other personalities um so there's there's a lot to lot to Burt Reynolds that that I, you know, I wish some his memoir touches on on some of that. He's he has two books that that do, you know, shed some light in, into the man behind behind the um, Hollywood uh, persona and legend. But uh, I don't think we'll ever 
really know enough about him um, because there there was sort of a, a distance between personal Bert and public Bert. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, you know, I get the sense that he was always very straightforward with people and honest. And you either loved that or hated it about him. Right. Well, that's. I mean, just the fact that he had these these friends that he was very loyal to and also these people that he really detested um he, i feel like he wasn't a two-faced guy you no. know he wasn't he wasn't a typical hollywood guy who's just who's sort of a pr maven you know he he was um he was a little rough he was a little rough around the edges he was but he was also just like this is me yep you know the, the, that's, take that's it or leave it across yeah yeah and uh, and I like that. I like that. Well, thank you very much for having me on your program. I um, I enjoy talking about many different m- movies with you and going <laughs> far afield. <laughs> but uh, that's how it is when you get a good conversation about film. You always it is, and, and I go never I never want to clip the tangents because you never know where you're going to go. And I think with this particular episode, it's been great for that because we've been you know you get caught up talking about Burton and and, uh, and other stuff. And I'm probably going to uh, do like a more tightly edited version for this episode since I've got a lot of sure a lot of tape for for of this course, one. Of course, of um, course. And then I think I, I want to put together like a, a b-side of just all the great conversations we had that <laughs> kind of uh revolved around Burt, but we're not directly related because there's there's so much of that this week that i've that i've captured just brock this is the best work we've ever done I mean, it's a real film jack it feels good you made it fly you know this is a film I want them to remember me by. up our cinema shame burt reynolds memorial i'd like to thank all of my guests for joining me in burt remembrance carrie fristo christian divine carrie ricky brian sauer and grant and the, the notorious carrie troller if you enjoyed these episodes be sure to take to the interwebs and spread the cinema shame by leaving us a friendly review or giving this to a friend and say here listen to this this is all for the love of cinema and anytime we get a mention it warms our cockles Next month, we'll be talking horror movies. 
be sure to venture over to our website at cinemashame.wordpress.com to view our new October movie-watching prompt and participate in the blogathon. Thank you to all of our listeners, and we look forward to seeing you here next month on the Cinema Shame Podcast.